Hello everyone, <coughs> welcome to episode one of Lesotho's Investment Case Podcast. Uh, this is a show that seeks to narrate the storytelling of uh, Lesotho's economic environment that speaks to Lesotho's investment opportunities, <coughs> that speaks to broadly uh, the entrepreneurship landscape in Lesotho. And uh, over a couple of uh, weeks to come, we're going to be having a series of interviews where we're going to be featuring the most <coughs> prominent and influential uh, voices uh, driving the economic agenda for Lesotho. And our aim and what we hope to achieve through these interviews is for our listeners and our followers to... to, to <coughs> to get insights from uh, some of these guests that we're going to be uh, having on our show. And these guests will range from um, your C-suite corporate executives, your policy makers, uh, your entrepreneurs, uh, these are the people who innovate and disrupt, and of course your investors, these are the capital allocators. And uh, these guests are <coughs> going to be sharing insights. So this show is about uh, insights, not information. Uh, why? Because information is in abundance. Information is everywhere. We don't need uh, any more information. In fact, uh, so <coughs> so often uh, there's this phase called uh, this era, this, uh, this information uh, era. Uh, but this show is about sharing insights. Uh, why insights and why is insight so important? There's a lady um, called Letta Stafford. She's a global design director at IDEO. Uh, how she describes insight is quite interesting. So she says insight is information plus inspiration. She goes on further to say, <coughs> insight is actionable. She so says, uh, insight is what connects the head and the heart. But uh, for me, the punchline is really here where she says, uh, insights make you move from knowing something to wanting to do something. And that's precisely what this show is, is, is meant to, to, to achieve. We want our listeners <coughs> and our followers uh, to want to do something from the insights our guests, our esteemed guests, uh, are going to be sharing with us. Uh, so you at home, you are definitely our target audience. If you, are, if you, have, if you have a keen interest, uh, in understanding, being part of conversation around Lesotho's economic uh, environment, Lesotho's investment opportunities. We're going to be talking about the mining industry, the renewable energy, uh, policy, technology, <coughs> all sorts of things uh, to do with the economic agenda of Lesotho. And uh, <coughs> today, we are thrilled uh, to have Ndadeta Bohasipe join us on our show. That day we are particularly honored to have you as our very first guest 
on our show. Thank you so much that for agreeing to to stop by and, and chat to us. Uh, I know you <coughs> you are now based in Namibia, so thank you so much. Ndadi Khasipe is now the executive secretary of SACU. So SACU in full is Southern African Customs Union. We'll dig deeper into what his role is now <coughs> uh, a little bit later. Uh, prior to that, Ndadi Khasipe was the Commissioner General of uh, Les, uh, Revenue Services Lesotho, uh, formerly known as LRA, uh, Lesotho Revenue Authority. And as well, we're gonna <coughs> dive into that a little <coughs> later. Uh, but before we, we, we talk about the now and the um, let's maybe take a step back and, and rewind to, to way back. Hmm. Let's take you back to uh, when you grew up. Uh, you are a trained economist. You studied economics at the National University of Lesotho. Mm. Um, you also further <coughs> studied the same program at the University of Nairobi. Um, maybe to set the scene and kick things off, maybe let's talk uh, macroeconomics. Mm. Uh, <coughs> where we are at the moment, a lot of moving parts. Mm. Uh, globally, uh, continentally, and even back home locally. Mm. Uh, we have uh, inflation at, at record high, <coughs> and uh, of course it's starting to moderate this year. Uh, we have interest rates interest rate at, at, at multi-year highs, um, because obviously the monetary authorities had to respond uh, to the runaway inflation. Uh, and some would argue that those <coughs> high interest rates are beginning to, to bite because growth in most parts of the economy of the world is starting to, to slow down and, 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 and moderate. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a dangerous situation we find ourselves in. That combination of the macroeconomic indicators are not favorable. Uh, what's your read of, of where we are in terms of the, the big picture? maybe globally and then you can trade it down to the continent and you spend some time on the Saku region mm -hmm. um, and just paint a, an economic picture for us to, to, to kick things off. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Dari. Um, let, me, let me, first of all, of course, <coughs> thank you for, for having me uh, uh, today um, for, as you say, your first episode. I'm, I'm very much honored and, and also congratulate you guys for what I think is a very good initiative. We can have more enough of this kind of, you know, sessions where we brainstorm, we reflect on uh, what it is that we need to do in order to unlock development uh, in a part of the world that has really struggled a lot to see progress. Um, <clears throat> now, coming to your, to your question, you're right. I mean, we find ourselves in a very interesting situation where you could very arguably say that we haven't seen an economic environment where the headwinds are just so strong, you know. Um, and I think it's largely because of um, a number of uh, factors. 
the most prominent of which, which may have triggered the whole thing, is the pandemic, an event that one can easily call a black swan event. You know, the whole analogy of a black swan, where you have an event that happens so infrequently that, in fact, when it comes, we are shocked. In fact, we don't even think uh, we understand it at all. Uh, they say in Europe, swans were known to be white. And then someone went to Australia and found a black one. And uh, comes back to Europe to tell them about it. They thought, no way, can't have a black swan. <laughs> so in, in risk <coughs> management uh, speak, a black swan event is seen more as that event that hardly ever comes. But when it comes along, it always shocks us. Uh, and really destabilizes everything and throws us all off balance. The pandemic is such an event because we last saw one in 1918. Um, they call it the Spanish flu. We are now, we just had one. And as you can imagine, um, the, the impact is, is monumental. Um, the financial crisis that struck in 2008 also contributed a lot and it's some sort some say maybe a gray swan it's not that <laughs> black <laughs> but it's a swan uh, and it's an unusual swan uh, well just when we were recovering from that um, we then had COVID and COVID led to a lot of uh, negative impact uh, uh, obviously we know during the times of lockdowns uh, there were major disruptions to global supply chains we know China as the manufacturing hub of the world where everything is manufactured and then containers will travel all over the world through container ships to the rest of the world delivering simple things like this microphone made in China, this laptop, this iPhone, that camera, you know, uh, all manufactured in China and that watch you worry. <laughs> and when this supply chain froze, uh, um, this had an impact in terms of now supply and demand where you invariably had a shortage in terms of you know meeting the 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 supply the demand but quite interestingly it was a double whammy because they said it affected both demand and supply because there you where you and i stuck uh, uh, in, in in our homes uh, and locked in in a you know to 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 to, to escape this pandemic at the same time, our outlook towards the future was very, very negative and therefore our spending went down. So demand was affected, so was supply. Uh, so it's a double whammy, you can imagine, the contraction effect of it. Normally you have supply not meeting demand or demand being, you know, the kind of thing. But this time it was both of them suppressed. And it doesn't, it takes a long time to deal with that. But most importantly what it does is it affects, um, uh, it, it leads to inflation because invariably when we got out of COVID there was a sudden recovery. We started having a positive outlook as consumers and we started wanting to spend our money but there was nothing on the shelves mm. in the shops. You know even vehicles, uh, long leads in terms of the manufacturing because of the shortage of computer chips uh, such that you would order a car and you'd have to wait where you would wait six months and your car you would wait years and years and years. I know the Land Cruiser is one example that was cited to that effect. That the, the waiting uh, sort of, you know, uh, line was so long. But what that does, obviously, it creates a demand pressure. And you and I know that then pushes up prices. You have inflation. 
we call it cost, uh, rather demand pool uh, type of inflation. It is different from the cost push one uh, because you have this excess demand which cannot be met by, 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 by supply on the other side. Uh, the flip side of it, of course, is that you could be having a situation where, in this case, um, supply was not adequate to provide for, for, for the demand. Now, um, this is why we find ourselves, because of those supply chain freezes uh, in a situation where we then had inflation, you can say it should have been anticipated really, and many commentators did say that we're headed for choppy waters going forward in terms of, you know, uh, inflation uh, subduing the environment. My, 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 my evaluation of the whole situation, to be honest with you, and many other com people, is that this idea of um, uh, central banks resorting to the one tool they have, which is, you know, uh, interest rates, it's probably highly limited. You know, this is an example of someone who has a hammer in their toolbox, and to them every problem is a nail. <laughs> you know? Classic. I think our central banks can be accused of that. They have a hammer called interest rates. Now, this problem is supply chain freezes. How does increasing interest rates help unlock the supply chain freezes? I mean, in Durban, in Durban, I saw it with my own eyes. When you're in Durban, you see ships waiting ashore, waiting to dock to unload the stuff. You know, some ships take two months waiting there, such that it takes longer for a ship to leave China to get to Durban than it takes to, once it arrived at Durban offshore, to then get into dock and unload. They wait two months, literally, for their turn. Why? Because during COVID, you had ships that were stuck, uh, containers that were not moving and stuck. Now, the inventory that has to be moved around is so much that when you opened up and COVID was supposed to be now under control, now we can go back to, to business as usual. All the ships now, there's so much capacity in terms of the, the, the ports. You know, there's so much capacity in terms of processing of the containers at our, at our ports. And therefore, it, it, it takes time to get rid of that excess inventory uh, inside the supply chain itself. And, and increasing interest rates when inflation is high because of that factor, for me it sounds like a very blunt tool. If anything, one could very well say, is this even adding fuel to the fire? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because honestly, I feel like if there's anything, consumers need relief. Clearly, when you increase interest rates, you are, you are targeting demand on the other side to say, let's sort of, you know, manage the, the demand. The assumption is that there's too much money flowing around, there's too much exuberance, there's too much spending, and therefore I need to sort of make money more costly so that people can stop borrowing and stop consuming and then the ripple effect works and then you can now balance the demand and supply of money because interest rates are what accept the price of money, really, and when you increase the price of money, you are reducing the, the, the demand of money, you know? Mm. I feel that's not where, where the problem is. Um, 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 and, and, and unfortunately, that's the neoclassical framework. It's, it, it leads us to 
this one size fits all kind of solutions where the problem uh, it's almost like we treat an economy as if it's a machine like a washing machine there's mm -hmm. a manual you know and I have a big problem with that uh, an economy is not a machine it's not a washing machine it's not this iPhone it's not this laptop where there is a manual if this thing breaks down you take it to the guy who does repairs he has studied what the, the, the there's a there's a repair manual they will say okay let me test this that 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 if i do this is what will happen an economy is not a complicated but rather a complex there's a difference complexity and com being complicated are two different problems complicated problems are this watch mm. this computer where if it's broken you can't fix it it's complicated you need to, you take it to someone who has the know-how who has been trained an expert who will fix it because he knows of what processes to follow it's a complicated problem a complex problem on the other hand has no manual i'm sorry there is absolutely no manual you have to have the humility to understand that i don't know first and foremost i don't understand i am going to try a few solutions but have the humility to say no expert can solve this problem it is not a washing machine it is not a laptop that's broken it is an economy and therefore enabling yourself to have the humility to delve in uh, with humility study whatever the moving parts are try the solution have have an attitude towards learning to say I will learn as I do, I will learn as I go. It's 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 um yeah, it's an important step. But anyway, maybe I am getting over excited <laughs> and maybe getting ahead of myself. But it, coming back to your question about the economy, that's how I see things. I feel like we are experiencing a black swan event that hasn't been seen for quite a while. And to me that means even the solutions that we should try should have an element of acknowledging that this is uncharted a mix territory. of yeah it's uncharted territory <coughs> you know what i'm saying and let's 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 allow ourselves to try solutions learn as we go and it's only when you have that learning attitude that when mistakes happen when you get it wrong you don't see it as your weakness but you see it as a lesson learned you know some tuition you paid the pain is the tuition that you paid mm -hmm. and you walk away better to try something else let it fail but keep trying and iterating you know um, uh, it's only when you have that attitude uh, because really um, you, you see a similar pattern um, you have the Q Ukraine Russia situation mm -hmm. which has again poured more fuel to the fire uh, and 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 is leading to very com complicated. It's, com it's it's sort of bringing more complexity to the situation because we are now talking about geo fragmentation, mm -hmm. where you find even trade flows, at least foreign direct investment flows, are beginning to become a sort of clustered. Where you find they've they are, I've read a study where they were indicating that. If you look at countries and you cluster them according to how they vote on the UN, uh, the UN, mm -hmm. and you know countries that vote together are friends, you know. So if you look at okay, US, EU, Australia, UK, you know France, they tend to vote together on issues. Now you, you're not you're not imposing yourself. You're looking at voting patterns. So you're saying let the data speak for itself. 
If you guys vote together, I'd last are you together. If you guys vote together, at last are you together. It would seem like the world is fragmenting into two polar, or bi it's becoming bipolar in some sense. Mm. And you have the Western bloc on the one side, and then you have uh, China, you know, Russia, and African countries being seen in that grouping. Uh, and, and, and there's a fragmentation. But what's important, the point I was making was that, interestingly, the study shows that trade patterns and foreign direct investment flows are beginning to become also confined to those groupings. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, countries in this group trade with each other and uh, there's foreign direct inflows in that group. This group does the same. Very little in between, or at least decreasing trends between the two, such that you're looking at, if you project forward, you're seeing a situation where there is a fragmentation happening, where the world is becoming bipolar along certain, you know, geopolitical, you know, uh, uh, boundaries. That has added fuel to the fire. Food security is a big problem because uh, obviously, you know, Ukraine was a major supplier of grains um, and with the conflict they have now, this is spilling over and affecting food prices. Food is a major input, is a major, you know, commodity around the world. You have energy also. Uh, being affected, um, uh, and 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 also uh, the trade in oil, um, put in there also climate change. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. You see, this is a black swan. Have we it seen is. this environment <coughs> before? It's uncharted territory, and therefore you can't be throwing interest rates at climate change. <laughs> you can't be throwing interest rates at Russia, uh, Ukraine crisis. Does it mean we don't need to be moderating uh, 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 demand by maybe uh, contractionary monetary policy? No, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, really, you can't just use a hammer when you need a hammer and a screwdriver and, a, you know, maybe the tools in your toolbox. Um, right. It's not a monetary problem, only it is fiscal, it is political, it is climate change, it is leadership. Okay, that's yeah. Uh, a very loaded answer there, uh, so much for, for us uh, and the, the viewers and listeners to digest on there. Um, certainly, <coughs> my take is uh, it's worth a discussion whether uh, our current, the, 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 the current intervention on the interest rates uh, that the monetary authorities globally uh, are applying to, to curb the supply side induced uh, inflation, uh, the appropriateness mm. of, of that intervention. It's uh, certainly worth the discussion. Mm. Um, maybe the uh, let's bring it home mm. uh, to now. You, <coughs> you're working uh, in around 2007, 2008, mm. you were in the asset management space. Mm. Uh, that's when you let uh, a local asset manager, Stanley Lesotho. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe share with us just briefly um, your experience uh, in, in that um, period. Uh, uh, it wasn't a long period, mm. <coughs> but maybe share with us uh, your big learnings that you took away from uh, Ryan Stanley maybe just even comment on the broader mm -hmm. asset management uh, as an industry locally mm 
mm. maybe just for that uh, in terms of what uh, asset management in the broader capital markets mm-hmm. and what role can they play in, in, in developing the, the economy for the country how, how, what, what role does asset management or capital markets broadly mm-hmm. has to play in, the, in the, the development of the economy yeah um, it opened my eyes it opened my eyes to I think a totally different world of finance and um, being the um, the curious um, animal that I am, <laughs> I I really it whetted my appetite and thought. I think this is it in terms of uh, where one can make a difference. Um, as you indicated, um, I am a trained economist. Um, I came in into Stanley as an economist with experience, of course having been a lecturer at the university and stint at the central bank. Uh, we started LCA, uh, it was called L- L- what was it? LTA back then, Telecommunications Authority, yes. uh, where I was a director of strategic planning and saw to the development of the policies, even the, the usage fees, license fees that are now being paid. Uh, uh, we initiated that as part of the team that got it off the ground. Then I joined LRA now RSL uh, and got exposed to customs. But Stanley was unique in that it then connected me to the world of finance for the first time, where um, you looked into now the impact that actually uh, um, finance can have in terms of making economic growth, economic development, entrepreneurship possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I then realized that indeed uh, the missing link on the part of Lesotho was how we were doing the asset management thing. I walked away with a very clear, I think, uh, idea that we really, as Lesotho, were merely a, a place where we just gather assets and then we direct them to where they do actual development. Uh, because you recall, even then we started a conversation about uh, maybe having some local minimum asset, you know, uh, deployment uh, so that your pension fund, for example, for the civil servants or even others, really there should be a law mandating them to invest a certain minimum locally because people don't realize that when you go to uh, Los Angeles and you look at Los Angeles, you see tall buildings. Or you go to Harare, you see tall buildings. Or you go to Santon. You see those beautiful buildings and you're like, wow, these people, what do they have that we don't have? You think they're so smart. When shall we ever have tall buildings like this, this beautiful uh, infrastructure? You know, the difference is what? It is just how they manage assets. It really boils down to that. And pension funds have a big role to play in that respect. A lot of our pension fund assets are gathered in Lesotho by South African-based, you know, entities who then directed to Santin to develop property market for as an investment vehicle. Mm-hmm. Santin itself actually is an example of what pension fund assets can do because it's actually um, um, pension fund assets that made what it is. And uh, we tend to think maybe these people have money and they were born with the money. No. <laughs> money is about you understanding it and may- being able to then uh, know how to harness it and how to direct it and focus it to what 
that which you want to achieve. And focus, focus is one thing. And asset management is actually the process. And I think Stanley opened my eyes to that. Uh, to an extent that I'm one who sometimes when I come across something and I feel it makes a very big impression on me, I want to learn it more and understand it more. Mm. Um, when I realized, for example, and I'll come back to this, when I realized at, at, at LRA back then as a commissioner of customs that, you know what, I'm no longer an economist, I now manage people. You know, I've got people scattered all over the country um, at the border posts and they're looking up to me. Uh, and I thought, wow, but I'm just a mere economist. I understand demand and supply and, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm out of my depth. I went for an MBA and I said, let me go and study management, right? I did a general MBA and I studied human resource management, organizational behavior, right? Then you start on, lights start coming on. All right, this is how you do this thing. But it took an acknowledgement that I am out of sorts. I'm no longer an economist, but here I am uh, around uh, the square peg on a round hole, trying to do what I'm not trained to do. Why was I so fascinated? Because as I say, I saw it as a vehicle to unlock in development. I still think so even as I sit here today. And um, talking of the role that capital markets, asset management plays in development, it is everything. Because um, it's about, I think, allocative efficiency of capital. Capital is an important ingredient in development. So we as economists learn of a production function where you have your capital, your labor, maybe raw materials. There's always technology also yeah. you combine together and the, 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 the best way you combine them is called productive efficiency because there's still that. You can have the capital, the people, the raw materials, but if you don't have allocative efficiency, total factor productivity they call it, you will still find yourself in a situation where countries like Lesotho are still suffering uh, because of the efficiency with which we do that process of production. Uh, but I'm saying capital, be it physical capital, financial capital especially is very important and asset management capital markets allow the allocation of capital to its best use where it earns the highest return because you can actually have capital you can give you can have uh, our development finance institutions do uh, in developing countries allocate capital and they give maybe uh, uh, credit facilities on very concessional terms mm. uh, but you have to wonder whether we are taking it to most to its most effective use in terms of who is standing behind the entity that's being financed public capital markets your stock exchanges seek to achieve that too uh, you have the jse where you and i as people with little capital look at the stock exchange listed companies and decide where to take our money which one which horse do we back if i love this company i buy their shares that appreciates their share because i've voted with my money you do the same their share increases their value increases the shareholders gain i'm now a shareholder too we get a dividend it's a win-win situation but if the company starts flopping we also start losing together but the trick is uh, to realize that capital markets have a limit, I think, for countries like Lesotho that are so small, we don't have the market depth and breadth to support a proper capital market. Just as, for example, we don't have the market depth and breadth to support a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, guys, 
Why should I come and open a dealership? Uh, the suture is too small. I'll, I'll save you from, from uh, uh, you know, Eastern uh, Cape or Bloemfontein, whatever it is. Similarly, for capital markets, I have serious doubts about our ability to sustain a proper capital market because a capital market needs liquidity. I need to know that when I buy a share and tomorrow I want to sell it, I'll find a willing and able buyer to then buy it from me without me having to incur a significant discount. Because otherwise, if I'm stuck with it, I say, come on, it's 100 grand, take it. You say, no, I don't say, okay, fine, 60. Okay, 50. <laughs> that means I'm stuck. There's no liquidity. A liquid market allows me to buy it at 100. Tomorrow, I could even sell it back at 100, even without any uh, change in demand and supply, because there's, there's, a, there's equal number of buyers and sellers, and there's a lot of trade happening. I doubt this what you can achieve that. Where I think we have an opportunity is in what is called private equity, which is the mirror image of public equity. Uh, public equity is publicly listed shares, but private equity is really where we do private deals. It's where we only look at accredited investors and we say, look, uh, pension fund so-and-so you are accredited or high net worth individual so-and-so or whoever it is. Here is a fund that we have put together with this mandate to invest in green energy, to invest in youth entrepreneurship, to invest in women empowerment, to invest in this or that opportunity that we've analyzed and we think we have an investment thesis about it. Mm -hmm. And then if you buy our thesis and you're convinced that the team behind it knows what they're doing, you put money in that fund. Now here's a trick. The fund is not just providing money, which is normally the problem with a lot of the funding vehicles that we try to put together to unlock entrepreneurship and for me one that comes to mind is the credit guarantee schemes that we have seen happen all over mm -hmm. where you find you know the thinking is all you need is money you know uh, someone says I'm a, I'm a strong believer in uh, in, uh, in, in in problem diagnosis mm -hmm. right uh, first and foremost in, 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 in designing interventions and strategy, start with diagnosis. We tend to find that easy to agree to, it's, it's a very persuasive argument, but here's a problem. Many people, every time we start that conversation, to them, the problem is lack of their preferred solution. They don't make any effort, you know, they'll tell you, no, the problem is that they, the youth don't have money. <laughs> That's your preferred solution, give money. <laughs> so every time we talk about youth unemployment, youth uh, empowerment, you think the problem is lack of your preferred problem. And I think that's being lazy. Problem diagnosis means, you know, fall, just get your hands dirty, analyze the problem, take a deep dive, look at symptoms and separate them from underlying causes, right? Until you get to the nub of the issue, only when you have done so shall you then say, yeah, we have a problem, I figured it out. You know the solution shall, you shall come up with will be one that is directed to solving the problem, not the symptoms. Mm. So we tend to become lazy uh, and say, no, the problem with youth, are not, but they just need money, this youth, you know, let's give them money. And I can tell you many entrepreneurs will tell you, and you'll speak to a lot of them in this series, they'll tell you that uh, any entrepreneur who comes and says, I need money, don't deal with them. Mm. Don't deal with them. Perfect solution. Absolutely. The idea, is, the idea is you must have demonstrated the capacity and the capability and the hunger and the fire in your belly. 
to be successful in whatever that you're doing. If you've really tried and you, you have some milestones that you can show even without money, what you've done. That's where private equity fits in. Private equity is not just throwing money. It looks for talent. It looks for know-how. It looks for the people who have the fire in the belly, who have it in them, and says, you know what, I sit here as Hasip, I can tell you, I'm not entrepreneurial that much. I mean, I've been an employee, really, for the rest of my life, you know? So I'm not gonna start fooling myself and think I can beat a guy who has been on the street and doing this thing for the last 10, 20 years. But what I can do is maybe design a policy environment that says, find that guy, back that guy, but finding that guy is your problem. Fascinating indeed. Fascinating indeed. Yeah. Uh, my key insights here, <coughs> or takeaways, is that um, in any problems or the issues, uh, first principles is, is the best way. You need to get to the the core of the problem, diagnose it. Absolutely. Um, secondly. Uh, capital markets definitely has a role to play in the, in the development of the economy uh, but what's what's critical is that capital market is not uh, your stock exchanges your asset managers those are yeah. components of it yeah. it's more broader there's yeah. private equity there's venture capital absolutely uh, the trick is uh, finding that efficiency mm. to allocate capital mm. fascinating that now uh, let's <coughs> move into the next chapter of, of your life after that mm -hmm. uh, you you went into international relations mm -hmm. you were appointed as an ambassador of Lesotho to the state of uh, Kuwait that is in, I started in uh, Egypt the Egypt. Republic of Egypt mm -hmm. two years and then ended up in Kuwait okay yeah thank you um, it's Middle East it's North Africa uh, a very different culture, very different place, um, unique in, in, in so many ways. Uh, just curious if, if you would share with us uh, how, <coughs> how, how different was it uh, living uh, on that side of the world, mm -hmm. but if you could just in your response fold that into one of the mandates while we are there, which was to promote trade and investments between Lesotho and the, the broader Middle East uh, and the, 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 <coughs> the, the countries you were appointed to. Maybe just talk to us a bit about uh, that time between, I think, 2008 to 2014. Yes, yes. No, look, it was a fascinating yet another exp experience, honestly. Um, international relations, yes, first and foremost. Um, but also, increasingly these days, we talk more about economic diplomacy, mm. even less of political diplomacy, especially for small countries like uh, Lesotho, that really uh, may find it very difficult to make an impact in terms of the global political landscape, in terms of what, what view you hold, mm. or what agenda you drive. Uh, you can speak, but normally you are able to speak as part of a grouping um, of small states, small and vulnerable states, or LDCs, or Africa, whatever grouping it is, uh, or even SACU or SADAC, we tend to find voice if we speak with one voice because of how small we are in the grand scheme of things. And, and therefore, when you start looking at bilateral relationships, it tends to boil down to 
uh, economic diplomacy, trying to, you know, uh, uh, ignite trade flows, foreign direct investment flows, um, either way. Uh, and that became my focus when I left Lesotho. Um, I found Egypt to be a little bit challenging um, initially from a point of view of that, you know, um, from a cost-benefit point of view, I found the Gulf to have been a much, perhaps, a, a sort of, I think, prosperous region with a lot of opportunities for Lesotho. And I don't think I need justifying uh, to anybody that, you know, United Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, uh, Qatar, and, and those countries in that region, yeah, uh, would invariably be better than in from a, from investment and trade flows, wealth, prosperity, uh, and even demonstrated relationships in terms of you know us assisting Lesotho uh, with, for example, our airport here, having been initially constructed by the Kuwait Fund, and them contributing into the Midolon Dam together with the Saudis and the OPEC Fund. So I thought, and I made a recommendation that we move our mission to closer to the Gulf. And the then government, fortunately, agreed, and we moved the mission to Kuwait, uh, which is now the Gulf. And um, it was uh, an enriching experience um, in terms of trying to build relationships, which is what I focused on initially. I mean, His Majesty uh, went to Kuwait. Uh, I think twice, and we had uh, uh, the Prime Minister then also going there. We also went to the United Arab Emirates. We had a state visit in Qatar during my time there for His Majesty. And all this time coming together with a big business delegation that included even the current Prime Minister, among others. And they sat down with their counterparts and talked business. And mine was to facilitate that. A conversation. Um, I always said that our role as as as, as, as ambassadors and uh, diplomats in that regard is more like how uh, what do you call it your 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 midwives, uh, where you know there's a pregnant lady. You help her deliver the baby, and you leave the baby with the mom. <laughs> you know you're done, and you're even forgotten after that. Interesting. Yeah. So we 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 really tried a lot to strike deals. Um, there were very promising opportunities, one of which was an interest that was expressed during my time by the middle, uh, at least the United Arab Emirates Airlines, to have a relationship with Lesotho, looking at our geogra geographical location and talking about if Lesotho could then explore an opportunity of uh, an arrangement where they could, you know, uh, have an airport here whether it's for passengers and even for cargo, uh, which would still to become um, another regional sort of, uh, you know, logistics hub. Mm -hmm. um, they expressed their interest and we started conversations, we're trying to uh, make it happen, but uh, I think our politics had become a bit unhelpful because then around the same time, we had our usual change, sudden change of government and that priority was thrown off the table and new ministers came in and I happened to then come back around the same time uh, and, 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 and um, 
we're trying, we've been trying uh, to help uh, governments after government from the perspective of that experience to link them up to that opportunity. Um, but that's one of the, I think, the major opportunities that uh, one was chasing. But I'll tell you one thing though, what you find is that in as much as you can try and uh, open up channels of trade between two regions, two countries and foreign direct investment, um, we always have to be cautious not to think we can copy-paste their models of development. And I go back to the argument of always diagnosing your problem. Uh, you can't mimic other countries and just think you can take a script from Singapore, take a script from Dubai, take a script from wherever in the world and come and replay it in the Sutu and then voila, you have development. No. You have to analyze your situation, you have to diagnose your problem. Mm. And I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and it's only when you do that, and you then do the honest thing of not uh, looking at your preferred problem. <laughs> you know, I think the problem is that we don't have, we score low on the ease of doing business. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, you know, the World Bank will come, will come, uh, or not just the World Bank, you know, pick on them. We have a lot of the multinational uh, organizations and NGOs will come with some model, their own model of development that is very similar in all parts of the world. And they say, look, if only you did this, you will develop. Right? Mm -hmm. If only you scored high on this index, some will say, look at institutions, sort out your institutions. And if only you did your institutions, you succeed. But the problem with them is that there is absolutely no attempt to diagnose the situation in the Sudan mm -hmm. to say, let's step back and say, what is happening here? What ails you? you know, it's like a, a doctor who just sits in there and he thinks everyone is, has a cold. Right? Mm -hmm. You come in headache, he prescribes the same thing. I mean, it, it, it is that it is that uh, disheartening. So, you cannot therefore copy what they're doing in the Middle East, which is something I'm always always conscious of. There are solutions for their problems. Mm. Uh, try and have trade links, foreign direct uh, flows, uh, to try and maybe solve your problems. But you have to understand your problem, because they can come here and bring their money and do with whatever they like and make money out of you and go and give you. Uh, empty-handed, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, there are many opportunities that as African countries we need to, to realize, or many problems that we need to diagnose and then start directing even foreign direct investment and local uh, investment into solving our problems. Uh, it's only when you do that that I think we shall be enriched. So yeah, um, a lot learned out there, a lot uh, I think uh, that we could have done um, in terms of linking the Soto up with those countries. Um, there were some uh, development finance support. I mean, for one, the Mitolun Dam, when I was there, there was top up, top up financing for the project because uh, uh, there was shortage in terms of financing. And together with the Abu Dhabi Fund, we were able to negotiate a deal and got them to top up financing for this project. Um, uh, you know, the Kuwaitis. We're building a road uh, between Tabatzeka and Mokhotlo. Unfortunately, due to our uh, inept, uh, I think, again, administrative and uh, implementation and delivery capacities, that road was swept away even before it was finished. So it's a you know, soft loan as it is, but it's 
for no for a road that doesn't exist because we did not implement well. Um, uh, but with 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 we 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 yeah we achieved a lot. We